Hey everybody, it's Pastor Craig, and I'm so excited to introduce to you today our guest speaker, Cameron Bundy. Now, Cameron is investing his life right here at First Colleyville, leading young adults to know and to follow Jesus. They gather on Tuesdays, they disciple, they invest, they share their faith, and it's just really great to see what God is doing through him. So please give him a big, warm welcome as he comes to the platform, Cameron Bundy. All right. Well, good morning. So glad to see y'all uh, this morning. Super honored for this opportunity to speak to y'all this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, go ahead, pull that thing out, turn it to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. If you don't got a Bible, there's one in front of you, and uh, the, the, the page numbers will be up on the screen. So like Craig said, for the last about two years now, I've had the privilege and honor to work with college students and young adults here at First Colleyville, and it's really the life stage uh, where the rubber meets the road, right? Like regarding life, like that's where things become real. And uh, they're looking for what universities they're going to attend, let alone what degree they're going to uh, pursue. It's like they don't know what degree they want. So you go through five of them and then you finally, the fifth one's the one they want, right? And so you go through all those degrees and you're looking for your job. You're looking where you want to start your career. Uh, you, you finally get your first bill, right? And you realize how expensive it is to live on your own. Uh, I don't know how many times I sit down with a young adult and they're like, dude, it's expensive to live on your own. I'm like, yeah, I know. You should, I was like, you should stay with your parents as long as you can, right? And the parents are like, get out of my house. And, uh, but it's expensive. And uh, the biggest thing that I see that really just meets the rubber for them is trying to figure out who they are as a person. And they're trying to find their purpose in life. And, and it's really crucial during these first few years of their, in their, their kind of their young adulthood because the decisions they make now affect their future. And so I have the great privilege to come alongside them and kind of impart wisdom from the things that I've learned and my decisions that I've made. Um, but I'm still a young adult too. So I'm 24 years old and uh, I'm still trying to figure this thing out. And so I get to come alongside them and work with them and, and just get to share life. Like there's sometimes we look at life and we just laugh uh, because that's all you can do sometimes. Um, but really, you know, the culture that you grow up in, the culture that you surround yourself uh, with really influences the way that you perceive and think about things. And this is very true in young adulthood and college. And I mean, the, just the culture they surround themselves with, the culture that they grow up in um, really dictates how they see and perceive things. And this is not just young adults, right? This is all generations across the board. Uh, that culture has influence in our lives. And it's so easy to get caught up, right, in what the world says is right and what the world, this is how you live your life. And uh, you can get all caught up in that because everybody's doing it. It's so popular. And to not be doing it is to be the oddball, right? Like if you're not doing what the world's doing, then you're just, you're weird. Um, but it's easy too, right, to just act, you know, kind of feel like you're living the good life. Uh, but you can live the good life and your life not be aligned with the Word of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to finish out the series, amen. We're going to finish out Winners and Losers. We've been going through the entire summer. Um, and so uh, I have the privilege to uh, speak about a king by the name of Josiah uh, who was raised to live his life one way uh, but chose to live his life another way. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead, 2 Chronicles chapter 34, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David 
And in the twelfth year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the asher poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Then in his presence, the altars of the Baals were torn down, and he chopped down the shrines that were above them. He shattered the asher poles, the carved images, and the cast images, crushed them to dust, and scattered them over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Verse 5, and he burned the bones of the priests on their altar, so he cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. He did the same in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and on their surrounding mountain shrines. And he tore down the altars, and he smashed the asher poles and, he, and the carved images to powder. And he chopped down all the shrines throughout the land of Israel and remained to, uh, returned to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, Azaliah along with Maaseah, the governor of the city of the court historian Joah, son of Johaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. And so we're going to stop right here. We're going to unpack just these few verses and see what's going on. So did you catch that Josiah was only eight years old when he became king? Um, that's a little crazy. Like imagine your son or your grandson who's eight years old becoming the president of the United States. Uh, we would be in some trouble, right? Like an eight-year-old running the world. Um, we would be in some trouble. But let's be completely honest. Like there's some eight-year-olds in here uh, that act like they are king and queens of the world. Amen? Uh, where's my parents at? They're like, yeah, we, we got one of those. Uh, but clearly we can see that uh, Josiah uh, was a winner. Uh, he did what was right in the Lord's sight. And like any king that approached the throne, Josiah had a decision to make. Do I go with the flow of the culture or do I go against the grain? And despite growing up in a corrupt culture that was brought on by his wicked father, Amon, uh, Josiah made the personal decision to go against the grain of the culture. Uh, he saw that there was a change that needed to be made. And at the age of 16 years old, so during the eighth year of his reign, when he was about 16 years old, uh, he made the personal decision to seek the Lord. At 16 years old, he sought the Lord, and he led the nation of Judah in a time of revival. He reestablished worship, reestablished devotion to God, and he removed all the false idols in the nation, removed all the things that defiled the temple out of the temple of God where you're supposed to worship God, and he did so. His father Amon saw no value in seeking God, but Josiah saw that, and he was convicted that he had to seek the Lord. Uh, his father Amon, he worshipped false idols, uh, but Josiah was convicted that worship only belonged to God. He only belonged to Yahweh, and so he worshipped the Lord. See, Josiah had strong convictions as an individual, and he stood firm in those convictions. Now, it's interesting if you notice between his eighth year and his twelfth year of his reign, there's no actions recorded. So between the ages 16 to 26, there's nothing recorded. In fact, Scripture just says this. It says, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. And then it jumps in right after he was 26 and all the things he began to do. And commentators have said that probably during those 10 years, what Josiah was doing was solely dedicating himself to seeking the Lord. That during those 10 years, he was building a firm spiritual foundation in God. He wasn't seeking fame, but he was seeking to be faithful. Uh, listen, if you're a college student here, you're a young adult, or, or you're a high schooler, just tune in real quick. Okay, you can ignore me the rest of the part, but tune in here. Fame will be here today and it will be gone tomorrow, but faithfulness will last you a lifetime. Fame will be here today and it will be gone tomorrow, but faithfulness will last you a lifetime. King David uh, wrote to a group of people who were comparing themselves to other people. 
these other people had success and achievements. And, and these people were complaining. They're like, look what they got. We don't got that in our lives. And so King David in Psalm 37, 5 said this. He said, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and befriend faithfulness. And that's exactly what we see Josiah doing here. During these 10 years, instead of seeking fame, he sought faithfulness. He befriended faithfulness and he was faithful in the little things, faithful to God. And he spent those 10 years building that foundation. And one could say that the, the success that he had as king was because of those 10 years that he spent building his foundation in the Lord. He was a king who was faithful to God. He was a king who, who, who executed the things that God laid on his heart, no matter what it would cost. He was a king who had strong convictions and he stood firm in those convictions and he didn't waver in those convictions. See, here's the lesson that we learned from Josiah this morning. Culture is no excuse for our disobedience. Culture is no excuse for our disobedience. See, Josiah grew up in a, in a nation that was corrupt. He came home to a father every day, a wicked father. Get this, Amon only reigned two years. That was his father. Only reigned two years of his life because he was so wicked. Imagine coming home to that every single day. And despite all of that, Josiah said he saw a change that needed to be made and he knew that change started with him. And so he went against the grain of the culture that his father had sat out or set out to create in the nation of Judah. It was a culture that had their backs turned towards God. They didn't listen to God. They didn't seek God. They didn't want anything to do with him. But Josiah said, you know what? There's a change that needs to happen and that change is gonna start with me. See, some of our homes and some of our workplaces and some of our schools and universities don't have a Christ-centered culture. Let's be completely honest. Like we go to school, we go to our university and there's just not, Jesus is not represented very well. We go to our homes and maybe we're not representing Christ like we should in our homes. But that can change and that change starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us in this room. Maybe you're growing up in a, in a household right now where the culture is hostile, right? Your parents are abusive. Your parents are, are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And you fear that you will go down the same path as them because statistics say if your parents are that, then you will be that too. But that can change. And that change starts with you. It starts with us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of, of King Josiah. And there's two things that he exemplifies in his life. Two things that he exemplifies that it takes to go against the grain to make the change. And so if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to continue reading in 2 Chronicles 34, verses 14 through 21. <clears throat> and when they brought out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. Consequently, Hilkiah told the court secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the, uh, took the book to the king, and he also reported, uh, Your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. They have emptied out the silver that was found in the Lord's temple and given it to overseers and to those doing the work. And then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, The priest Hilkiah gave me a book. And Shaphan read it in, in, from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And then he commanded Hilkiah, Iakim, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, the court secretary of Shaphan, the king's servant, Isaiah, go inquire of the Lord to me for those remaining in Israel during, or concerning the words of the book that was found. 
For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because of our ancestors have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything written in the book. Uh, The first thing that we see Josiah shows us is that going against the grain of the culture requires humility. It requires humility. And so uh, Josiah, he cleaned out the temple of all the things that defiled the temple. He said, okay, we're gonna start doing repairs on the temple. So he had these men working on the temple of God. They're doing these repairs. Um, And then he said, okay, we're going to take all the silver that was stored up in the temple and we're going, to, we're going to pay the people who have been laboring on the temple repairs. And so as they're taking out all the silver, the priest Hilkiah finds a book, the book of the law of the Lord, and he takes it out and he finds it. Now, uh, commentators have, uh, have strongly argued that this book that he found is in fact the book of Deuteronomy. Um, so if you uh, fast forward in the same chapter, the verse 24, uh, God speaks to the prophet Isholda, And he says, the things that you've heard from this book, the the consequences that are coming to you will be fulfilled in your day. And so if you go back to Deuteronomy 28, uh, there's a whole list of consequences for people's disobedience. And so that kind of sets up a strong argument that it is indeed the book of Deuteronomy, along with the fact that Moses is said to have written this book. Um, But that's a little bit of a history lesson for you. But let's get back to looking at what Josiah did as a result of hearing the word. As a result of hearing the word, he was cut to the heart of conviction, with conviction. He was convicted by the word of God. He was convicted of his sin and the sin of the nation. It says that he mourned over what he had heard. He was mourning, that he tore his clothes. This, this, this symbol of humility back in the day, uh, the tearing of clothes was an ancient tradition among Jews to, that was associated with grief and loss and mourning. And so you get this picture that he hears the word and then he tears his clothes because he is so brokenhearted over the sin in his life and the sin in the nation. See, he didn't reject the word of God like his father Amen. He didn't just harden his heart and say, you know, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to hide that in the temple. And for 50 something years, these people are not going to hear the word of God. So Josiah said, you know what? I'm going to go share this with the people. He was cut to the heart by God's word. What do you do when God convicts you? When you're in your quiet time, when you're, when you're sitting down and you're reading God's word and he convicts you that there's something specific in your life that needs to change, how do you react to that conviction? Are you moved by that conviction or do you grow numb to that conviction? Maybe God's convicting you, hey, look, maybe you didn't grow up in a culture where prayer was a, was a culture in your home, but he's convicting you that prayer needs to be a part of your home culture. What do you do with that conviction? Do you grow numb to it and you put it off because you don't want to do it? Or are you moved by that conviction? When God tells you to do something, are you moved to do it? Josiah was moved. Josiah was convicted. See, church, we, the culture is no excuse for our disobedience. Culture can be good. Culture can be bad. But culture becomes bad when we allow it to lead us astray from what God has called us to do. See, we have the power of Christ that's living within us. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave is residing in us as believers. And we have no excuse to sit around being idle as Christians, waiting for someone else to do the hard work for us. Because let me tell you, nobody's going to do the hard work for you. That's up to you. That's up to me. The hard work we've got to do. And so we take the power of Christ that rose Jesus from the grave that's living within us and we make the changes that need to happen. See, we can be the changes that our homes, that our schools, that our workplaces need as we say yes to the things of God and we are obedient to the things of God. People always say, hey, we need to put prayer back into schools. 
We need to see a, a revival in our nation, Cameron. But I'm fully convinced to this day that we won't see those things happen until prayer is reestablished in our homes. That we won't see a, nation, a national revival until revival happens within our homes, within the doors of our homes. If a revival starts there, then a revival will start in our nation. Because here's what happened. If you look back at this story, in the nation of Judah, there was this 16-year-old boy who decided to seek the Lord. He was faithful for 10 years, from 16 to 26, and he solely dedicated himself to the Lord. And then after the age of 26, he began to really live out his life for Christ. And revival started at home in Judah because of the faithfulness of one boy. And that revival spread from Judah and into the nation of Israel, all because of the faithfulness of one person. What would happen if all of us in this room this morning went back home and we spent time in prayer with our families? Every night we just said, you know what? We're gonna dedicate this night and we're gonna pray to the Lord. What would happen if our families became lovers of scripture where we were just oozing scripture all the time because we're memorizing it? I'm not talking about chunks of passages, but just a verse. What would happen if college students began to pray for their other college students in their dorms and in their fraternities and their classes? What would happen if co-workers met before work and they began to pray for other co-workers that they work with? I think a revival would break out. I think there would be an awakening in our nation that would spread to the ends of the earth because of the faithfulness of God's people. That can start with you. See, there's a change that needs to be made and that change needs to start with us. Joshua sends his servants out to go confirm whether or not the word that they have heard from the book that they found in the temple is true. Uh, during this time, kings really referred to, uh, to prophets and prophetess to find out whether the things that they received are really from God because God spoke through the prophets and prophetess at this time. And so he says, hey, would you go to the prophetess Hulda and ask her if what we have read is really true? And so she comes back and she's, yes, indeed, what you have read is true. Uh, judgment is coming upon the nation of Judah and God's gonna show mercy to Josiah because of his humility. And then this is where we're gonna pick up the rest of the story. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 39 through 42. So the king sent messengers and gathered all the elders of Judah in Jerusalem. So the king went up to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as all the priests and Levites. All the people from the oldest to the youngest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Then the king stood at his post and he made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow, uh, to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his degrees, and his statutes, and with all his heart and with all his soul, in order to carry out the words of the covenant written in his book. He had all, pres all those present in Jerusalem and Benjamin agreed to it so that all the inhabitants of Jerusalem carried out the covenant of God, uh, the God of their ancestors. The second thing Josiah shows us is this, is that going against the grain of the culture takes courage. It takes courage. So they had received confirmation that the word that they have heard is true. The judgment's coming upon the nation of Judah and that God's going to show mercy to Josiah because of his humility, because he was broken over his sin and the sin of the nation. And what does Josiah do as a result? He is moved. He is moved by hearing the word of God. See, see James 1.22 says to be doers of the word, not hearers only. So you see Josiah here hearing the word of God and now he's doing something about it. I think that's something the church has lost. We like a lot of hearing and not a lot of doing because it's hard. 
And so I think we need to get in the habit of hearing God's word and doing it. So you see Josiah doing something about what he has heard. And so he gathers the people together and he begins to boldly proclaim to them, hey, judgment is coming upon us because of our years of, of disobedience and God's gonna show mercy to me. And so he tells this to the crowd. He didn't care what they thought or what they're gonna think because he knew he had to share it with the people. And he courageously proclaimed it to the people. But then he took it one step further and he said, you know, I'm gonna vow to follow the Lord that I'm gonna keep his commands, that I will lead the nation in the way of the Lord. That's huge. Because if you remember, so last week we talked about Hezekiah. Hezekiah reigned 50 years, 50 or so years before Josiah, and he was a winner. And in between Hezekiah and Josiah, there's two other kings that reigned. And for 50 something years, they haven't seen a godly king. And here's a king opening the word of God before, before a wicked nation. And he's courageously proclaiming the word of God to this nation who probably didn't really agree with him, probably wasn't too fond of what he had to say. But because of his leadership and because of his faithfulness to stand firm in the convictions that God's laid in his heart, the people follow suit. And they said, you know what, we agree. We're gonna, we're gonna follow along with you. We're gonna keep the Lord's commands with you. Now, if you look at the passage very closely, do you notice something that's really weird and strange? I don't know if this is the way that I look at it or how I, I see things. Uh, but did you notice that judgment is still coming on the nation of Judah? Like, despite what they're doing, the judgment is still coming. And they chose to vow, they said, they said we vowed to follow the Lord's commands, even though the judgment is still coming. Now, let's be real. Like, let's just be human. If I was there during that time and I heard that judgment's coming upon me and it's still coming, and no matter what I did, it's still coming, I don't know if I could be like, I'm going to follow the Lord. Even though he's coming to punish me, I'm going to follow the Lord. Like, I don't know if I could do that. And then it just dawned on me, it hit me. Because the vow that they made was not a selfish vow. It was a selfless vow. They weren't in it for themselves. They were totally in it for God. They were solely making a vow to God because they were in it for him and not themselves. They weren't expecting something to, in return because of their obedience. They were going to be obedient to God because of who he is. When they read the book, they were reminded of who God is, that in Genesis, he's the author, the creator, and the perfecter. That in Exodus, he's the deliverer. That in Judges and Joshua, that he's the provider. And they were reminded of who God was and their hearts were, were bowed in reverence to God. And they said, you know what? He can bring judgment upon us because we deserve it. But we're going to worship him because he's provided for me. He's delivered me. We remember what he's done for our ancestors. And I don't care what happens. We're going to continue to serve the Lord. They knew that they were worthy of nothing but the judgment of God because of their sin. Now, this might step on your toes just a little bit, but did you know that really we're worthy of nothing but the judgment of God? But God so loved the world. He was so rich in grace and mercy that he said, you know, I'm gonna make a way for you. I'm not gonna leave you in that spiritual condition. I'm not gonna, here's the, I'm gonna make a way for you to experience a relationship with me for everlasting, for years to come. And Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, so while our backs were still turned towards God, while we weren't seeking him, while we weren't listening to him, while we wanted nothing to do with God, God sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me. 
And the wrath that we deserve, the judgment that we deserve, the punishment that we, reserve, we, we deserve uh, for our sin was put on the back of innocent Jesus. And he died a death that we deserve and he was raised to life to bring us life. Now church, that should stir something within you. That should fire something up in you because if it doesn't fire you up, it's going to fire me up and I will be fired up for you, okay? Because Jesus, while you didn't want anything to do with him, he did something for you. Here's the deal. If the people at that time could serve the Lord knowing that judgment was coming, oh, well, we can serve the Lord because we know at, one, at some point he's going to return us home to glory. So the, the least we can do is be obedient to him, church. The least we can do is get up off our rear ends and do something for him. The question is, do you, do you have the courage do you have the courage that when Christianity is not popular anymore, when Christianity is just faded out and nobody's talking about Jesus anymore, when no one's standing for Christ, do you have the courage to stand? Do you have the courage to speak? Do you have the courage to represent Jesus when nobody else will? When you're the only one, when you're the oddball and everybody's looking at you, pointing at you, making fun of you because you're worshiping Jesus, will you do it? Do you have the courage to do it? The vow that they made is very similar uh, to the declaration that you hear jo uh, Joshua make in the, the later part of the book of Joshua. And he's giving his farewell address to the Israelites and, and he's telling them, he's saying, hey, uh, you can serve God or you can serve the created idols that you've created with your hands. And he said to them, he said, I don't know what you're going to do. And he makes this, this declaration, he says, I don't know what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so whenever life gets difficult and when Christianity is no longer popular and nobody is tracking along with me to follow Jesus, me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what other people are doing, but we will serve the Lord. I think of uh, uh, Peter and John in the book of Acts, right? Whenever uh, they're, they're uh, preaching Jesus and they're arrested for their faith in Christ. And the council brought them before, brought them before the, the people and they said, we charge you not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And then their response in Acts 4.20 was, we can't help but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, these people made courageous proclamations of the word of God and who Jesus was when Christianity was no longer popular. But will you do the same? Will you and your house serve the Lord when it's not popular to serve him anymore? Will you speak of Jesus when people are being arrested for their faith in Christ? Will you do it? Because there's a time that's coming. And if we keep saying it's not coming and that we live in a world that's beautiful and it's holly jolly, man, you're just lying to yourself and you're deceiving yourself. There's a day that's coming when we can't sit here in our comfortable seats and be a Christian. We're going to have to do something about it. We can't sit around idly waiting for someone to do the hard work for us anymore. We're going to have to get up and do it ourselves. Now, uh, back when I used to play uh, high school football, uh, before every big game, our coach would usually kind of give us some kind of prep talk or you know, he would show us some kind of motivational clip or inspirational uh, clip of somebody speaking something. And right before one of our big games, uh, he pulled out his iPhone and he clicked on this, this audio track. And his audio track uh, was about a story of a guy named Audie Murphy. Now, First Lieutenant Murphy uh, was one of the most decorated men uh, in his company during World War II. And the story we're listening to, the story goes is that... Uh, Murphy and his men were being raided uh, by the Germans. And they were dropping like flies, the tanks were being blown up, and, and I mean, it's just crazy. 
And so Murphy knew, like any good leader, that he's like, okay, I got I to gotta rebuild the fence, and, I, and, then, and then we can come back and defeat them. And so he called his men. He said, men, get back, retreat, go back, rebuild the fences. But Murphy realized, yet again, like a good leader, who's going to defend the Germans while we're rebuilding our defenses in the back? And so Murphy had all his men draw back behind the line. And Murphy said, I'm going to stay up here and I'm going to hold back the enemy while y'all rebuild the defenses. And so the story goes is that as he's holding back the Germans, he sees a tank destroyer off in the distance that's abandoned, it's on fire, and there's a machine gun on top. And he runs over to the tank destroyer. He hops on top and he holds back the Germans for an hour with a wounded leg. You're like, what does that story got anything to do with it? Here's the deal. Coach will look at us in the eye and he said, hey, when you go out there tonight, when you play this game, it's no retreat. You're going out there and you're giving it everything you got. When everybody's retreating, you're moving forward and you're fighting for the men in the backfield. You're fighting for the guys that's behind you. You're going to get that ball to the end zone. Here's the deal, church. Our, our fight's not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan and his crew. And it's their delight to infiltrate our homes to infiltrate our workplaces, to infiltrate our schools and our universities, to wreak havoc. But will you have the courage like Murphy when everybody's dropping back and they're retreating, will you charge the line and fight the good fight? Will you fight the good fight? Will you, will you have the courage to stand when the enemy's closing in on your homes when the enemy's closing in on your workplaces and your schools and your universities, will you stand and represent Jesus? Or will you crumble and will you retreat? I'm sure here at First Colville, we got plenty of resources that can help you cultivate a Christ-centered culture in your homes and your workplaces and your schools, your universities. I think it's time, folks, that the people that are in our schools, the people that are in our workplaces begin to see Jesus lived out in live action enough talking about what we believe in and a lot more doing than what we believe in. It's time that our children begin to see what it looks like to really follow Christ as we develop a Christ-centered culture in our homes. It looks like everything's holly jolly, right? You know, King Josiah had a great life, had all the success. He's a winner. They're celebrating the Passover. Passover has been celebrated over 50-something years. as back whenever Hezekiah was reigning, so 50-something years before Josiah. They're finally celebrating the Passover. They're doing it right on the right day. And things are swell. And then something happens. And Josiah makes a knucklehead decision. And he decides to pursue a fight with Necho, king of Egypt. We don't know what his motive was behind why he wanted to pursue a fight with Nico. We, we have no idea. But we know that God told him not to pursue the fight with Nico. And because he pursued a fight with Nico, and because he disobeyed God, he was defeated by Nico. Now, many people would say, well, Cameron, he's a loser. That dude made a knucklehead decision and got himself defeated. He disobeyed God. He's a loser. Here's the deal. He's a winner. But just like any king, he made a mistake. We can look at the life of, of Josiah and we can pull things out and we can learn from them. We can expound on them. And I'm sure there's great sermons that you can, you can pull out of it just even deeper of what Josiah's life was like. But his entire life was a road sign pointing to someone who is greater to come. And his name is Jesus. I want to read real quick to you Jeremiah 23. 
This is the prophet Jeremiah, prophet during this time, and he, he records the Lord's declaration of Jesus who was to come at this time. He says in verse 5, he says, Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a, ra- a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteous one. And folks, he came. And he's going to come back again. And this entire series, we've been looking at winners and losers. And the winners can't even amount up to who Jesus is, who the king of kings is. It can't even compare. can't even compare to who Jesus is. And Jesus will always be and will be the greatest king that has ever lived. And he stands here this morning, and he is ready to receive all who would come to, him, come to him. And maybe you've been living your life in the opposite direction. You've had your back turned towards God for some time. Maybe you've been living your life recklessly, and you're like, you know what, Cameron? It's time to turn to the Lord. I need to give my life to Jesus.